series called Faithful Presence. And we have been in this series for a few months now. And the big idea of this series very simply is that God is at work in the earth, that he is present in the earth, and he is faithful to his creation. We see that he is faithful to his creation by the fact that God is always involved in what is happening in the world. Now, it might be difficult to see his involvement. We might look at tragedy or chaos or natural disasters and think, how, how is God present in that? And how is God faithful in that? Well, one of the primary ways that God reveals his presence is through his people. And so one of the reasons why it's important for the church to be the church and for the church to gather as the church, whether it's in larger gatherings or in smaller gatherings, it's because he reveals his presence in a very unique way in his people and through his people. And then we've discussed over the past several weeks that there are actually disciplines or practices, forms that he has given to his people that he has actually promised that when you participate in this, I am there and you will sense and you will experience and you will encounter my presence in a very unique way when you choose to honor me by walking out these practices. One of those practices that we're going to expound on more today is one that we actually introduced over Easter, on Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday, we introduced the discipline of proclaiming the gospel. And Jonathan alluded to that today in our worship set. And I thought it would be great because both of these guys here have steeped in this topic uh, a little more deeply over the past couple of weeks. So I thought this would be really good to, uh, to frame in a conversation style. Now, this is actually a really selfless act for me because this is a message that you could really get your like ugly preach on. You know, like you could, y'all know what the ugly preach is on, right? Where you're, you know, you just look ugly the whole time because you're just preaching that thing. This is one of those kind of topics. I could really just get dirty with it. Just nasty preaching today, but I'm choosing to lay that down. And you so see, <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right, so with all that being said, <laughs> I, I would like to, uh, and I'm gonna jump into this conversation, and if there's questions that you guys have that you wanna ask, feel free to ask those as well. And Dan, I know that you've done uh, a lot of work here on framing out the entire chapter and helping us get some really great insightful questions. But just kind of as an icebreaker and a kickstarter, a primer, I, I want to know, in the series at large, from the first day we introduced it till now, what are some things that are really just standing out to you and even shaping your lives? And making you more like Jesus and more sanctified and holy and a so, better husband. Yeah, so you guys can yeah. tell me, how have you seen that in me in the last few weeks? <laughs> Well, Jonathan was saying the other day, not a lot of room for him in that area, but uh, <laughs> just kidding, guys. Jeez, let's just break the ice a little bit. Well, I think one of the, <laughs> let's dive in. So the, if the main topic is that God is present to his creation and that we are called as the church to be present to the world, then I think what I have been uh, continually recognizing is just how the massive plans of God often work themselves out in such small, 
to us seemingly small ways and how things that we probably have no idea that God is working through are some of the bigger things we do as ministry. And then some of the bigger things that we do and that we put our time in, you know, may not bear the same amount of fruit. So I just, I'm constantly been brought back to the life of Jesus as hopefully as Christians, we all are right? That's the right answer. Uh, and that when, when God sent his son, the ultimate, the incarnation, the ultimate expression of the missio day of God, that it was super anticlimactic, right? Jesus comes to really a nobody in, in the back of nowhere Bethlehem. And that's how God changes the world, and not only is that how God changed the world then, that's how he's changing the world in my life today. That in the little things that I think are hiccups, in the little things that I think are happenstance or are seemingly insignificant, that God is at work, that the spirit is moving. So that's, that's one of the things that has been very real to me. Yeah, I think, Jonathan, when he says, you know, when you say like, it's one thing, there are so many things in this book that can really change or have started to at least change my perspective and my understanding of the gospel. But um, just at the book at, book at large, I think, I think the idea of faithful presence to me has been very personalized in that God is faithful to me in my time of need um, when I'm going through something difficult. Uh, but what this book is really doing is it's helping me to shift my understanding into not only is God faithful to me, but I become God's faithful presence to others. That the way that I act and the way that I do things then become expressions of God's faithfulness in people's lives. And when I don't do them, I am bad. Yeah. Thank you, Jonathan. I was really looking for that word there. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. No, just, I, I, I run, you know, God is working through a myriad of people and, but my expression of God's faithfulness is then cut off when I don't choose to operate in these principles, uh, in this book. So there are seven in the book, you know, and we've gone through a few. So guests, we've had discipline of reconciliation as a way of revealing God's faithfulness. Well, when I participate in the discipline of reconciliation with Jonathan, I am revealing God's faithful presence to him. It's not just about God's faithful presence to me. And I just, it's just been a very good process for me. Yeah, I would say I would say personally, I have learned to become more aware, and the the way that I view how God is at work, and the way that I view God's presence has radically shifted, and it's shifted primarily from a um, an elevated focus on what we would term you know worship, as as it relates to music and as it relates to gathering in a secret space. And I, and I very much believe that God's presence is in that. But I, I personally was very marginalized. I, I personally was very narrow and very limited in how I viewed the presence of God. And it was very dualistic. To be very honest with you, it was very dualistic. And so I'm learning now to look for and be aware of the presence of God in all of life. And that's one of the things I love about the disciplines. Next week, we're gonna talk about the discipline of being with children. 
like just being with children. And, and you know, that can be crazy to think God's in the middle of this. I'm so angry. I'm so stressed out. I'm so frustrated. How's God in this? No, he's, he's there. He is in that. And there is a way to encounter the presence of God that is absolutely different when you're with children. And the discipline of being with the least of these and choosing to be with the disenfranchised, the marginalized, and choosing to come and be near. And it may not feel, it may not, it may, you may not have this euphoric spiritual sensation. And yet God promises, I'm there. I'm, so it's really, it's challenging my faith. And then the second thing is I'm learning to be way more intentional. So family dinners and dinners with friends and the way that we approach the table and, and even the way that I think about uh, working out a conflict with someone that I am in odds with, it is completely revolutionized because I know that God has promised that in those moments and in those places, I am there and there's an encounter waiting for you and it may not feel like an, an amazing encounter. It may not feel pleasurable or sensational and yet God has promised, work, do this and I will be there. And so it's, it's, it's been very, very formative for me. Uh, what do you guys remember from the message, the Easter message, the most important message of the year? What do you remember? I already shared. <laughs> I did it right, right over there. I did it. Y'all remember that? Uh, okay, let me, let me localize this just a little bit, just for the sake of time. So Jonathan reminded us that three weeks ago on Resurrection Sunday that we talked about what is the gospel? And Jonathan asked this amazing question. And I don't know if it was a question that Dan crafted for you. I, don't, I, I can't remember. We'll split it. How's that? <laughs> but the question simply was, when you hear share the gospel, when you hear proclaim the gospel, like what's the first thing that comes to mind? And we were all a little gun shy. And, and, and then finally, Jonathan was like, come on, like really let me know what comes to mind. And so we talked about, you know, leading someone to Christ or having to close the deal or um, passing out tracts or really just seeing the gospel in terms of, I'm gonna tell you a message about Jesus Christ that you've never heard before. I'm gonna ask you to believe in him. You're gonna say yes. And then life is gonna get better for you. And I'm gonna feel better about myself. And we're being kind of caricaturing that a little bit. And then we kind of got into, well, let's expand our view of what the gospel is. And Jonathan referenced this morning in worship that the gospel, and I've actually, I've actually tinkered with this a little bit to make it very, very memorable. memorable. Number one, in the gospel, we are declaring that God has come, that Jesus has won, that new life has begun. Yeah. You like that? Yeah. Say that with me. Say, God has come. God has come. Jesus has won. New life has begun. Now, in each of those points, there is massive theology that's involved in each of those points. And now, so I want to ask you guys, when you hear God has come, what does that mean? And how how do we translate this huge biblical idea to the world around us? Well, to be consistent with the book, I think if I had to make a second point also from the first question, the second thing that I've really begun to realize is that so much of what we pray for and ask God for, he chooses to bring to us through other people. Have any of you guys ever noticed that? There is that fable of the person who's stuck on a, on a 
rooftop and they're drowning and they're praying, oh God, save me. And he sends a boat and they say, oh no, no, God's gonna save me. And then they send a helicopter. We've probably all heard that fable, but I think that is so true in the Christian life that God, just look at the Bible, for instance, that God so cares about the unity of his people that he allowed other human beings to tell us about what God is like, right? Because God didn't drop this from heaven. He used human beings to write it to give it to us. So what I, what I am coming to realize is that God is near, yes, in the presence of his spirit, but also the God in that is in Mike, which is the same God, God is present to me when Mike is present to me. And when Pastor Jade is present to me and when my wife is present to me, that, that God is near in more ways than we could really ever fathom. And that brings me much comfort because it's, it's much less ethereal and much more tangible that God is present to you right now from the words, hopefully, that we're speaking and in the presence of the person next to you. So that's just one way. I think for me, the, what's really standing out to me about proclaiming the gospel that, and that God has come near is that, uh, that God has come near not just to, again, this, and this is related to what I was saying earlier about the book at large, but that God has come near to all of creation. And, and to say that out loud and to think about it and to meditate on that really helps me go, you know what? It's not just man that was separated from God as a result of sin, but it was all of creation and every facet of life, there's distance between us and God. And the good news and the gospel is Jesus has bridged that gap and brought us close. So when we talk about work or we talk about children or we talk about whatever facet of life we might find ourselves in, God is in that place. There's not a place that I can go and then all of a sudden David's scriptures about, you know, I can make my bed in hell and you are there and I can go to the highest heavens and you're there. You know, that begins to take on a lot more flesh for me that no matter where I go, God has come near to that place. And there's not a subject, there's not a land, there's not a government, there's not a situation where God has not come near. And, uh, and, and really that, you know, I, I think... It's easy in a culture, uh, in, in, in Western, I think we've heard this, there's this belief and there's this culture of, uh, of we believe somehow at the core, for example, man is good. You know what I'm saying? But understanding that God has come means that we weren't near, that there was a break. That, and, and, and really, I think we can walk into situations, we can walk, and we have these preconceived ideas that this is bad because of the way this person's doing it, or this is bad, you know, it's bad for any number of material reasons, but the truth is, sin has broken it, and it's distance, distant from God, and, and our battle is not against flesh and blood, All right? So I don't have to be mad at somebody over a situation, but I can invite Jesus, I can invite God, the good news, God, God is over this situation. I can invite that into this moment now. Does that make sense? You know, I, don't, I think we don't realize, at least I'll, I'll own this, I don't realize or have not realized how powerful the incarnation of Christ is to the message of the gospel. In some ways, you guys, the fact that God clothed himself with flesh 
John 1, 14, John chapter 1, 14 says, the word became flesh. Uh, even so much so that in the, the early era of Christianity, one of the things that was hotly debated for years was whether or not Jesus was fully God or fully man. And some people would say, yeah, he was fully man, but he wasn't fully God. Some would say he was fully God, but not fully man. He was just an apparition. And true doctrinal orthodox theology is no, he was in fact fully God. And he was in fact fully man. And everything hinges on that reality. Our salvation hinges on the reality that Jesus in the carnation was fully God and fully man. Jonathan asked a question at Life Group Leader meeting a couple nights ago, and he said, in, in, the early, in the earliest time when Jesus was walking the earth and he was pronouncing that the gospel was in fact, the good news of the kingdom was in fact taking place, he asked a question, he says, to those people, what did that mean? To the people that Jesus was interacting with, what did that mean? Because that's very, very important. And for them, it meant that our messianic figure that has been prophesied throughout the entirety of the scriptures and what we now know as the Old Testament, that our messianic figure is going to come and is going to overthrow uh, our political rulers and we are going to have political freedom and political liberty and we are going to enter into a golden age of Israel much like we had when David was, was ruler and when Solomon built the temple. And we all know now looking backwards, that that's not what Jesus meant. He was ushering in a new kind of kingdom, a different kind of kingdom. One, in fact, that has already begun by virtue of Christ's res resurrection, his crucifixion and his resurrection. So when we say that God has come near, it is actually a fulfillment of his promise. And it's also, re it's revealing this truth. It's revealing the kingdom of God has begun. The kingdom has begun. The kingdom is now. So the incarnation is massive as it relates to the gospel. The second point here is that Jesus has won. Jesus has won. Christ is Lord and he is Lord because he has won. How do we translate that? What does that mean? Well, if we look at how Jesus revealed how God comes, <clears throat> they expected Jesus to come and bring about physical deliverance in every way. And Jesus, when he came, he did win, but he also taught us what does it look like for God to be with us and what does it look like that Jesus has won. So, so what that means is that Jesus was near to his people in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of their oppression, in the midst of their difficulty, he didn't just pull them out of it. So when we talk about Jesus winning, quote unquote, what that means is that in Jesus's death and resurrection, new creation started, but is not fully here yet. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> it really is wonderful. The problem is we can't see it all the time. And we see these pockets here and there where there is a manifestation of the kingdom. But what it ultimately looks like for when we say Jesus has won, what it ultimately looks like is the resurrection that happened in Jesus Christ will one day happen to all of us and the cosmos will be renewed. That is the ultimate goal of saying Jesus has won. As believers, we say, I believe that that is our hope. 
that one day, all of the things that don't look like that right now, he is going to make right. And one day, that will be our reality. That resurrected body that Jesus lives in will be my reality and his reality and your reality. So that is some of what we mean when we say Jesus has won. We point definitively toward a day in the future when all will look like that. I don't think there's really a whole lot to add to that. Um, But in terms of translating that into, I mean, what does that really, what does that really mean for us in my daily life? How, you know, I mean, what does it look like for me to have this understanding? I think, uh, number one, it it can be a place of hope. You know, scripture specifically says, you know, you know, who hope for, who hopes for what they already have? You know, and it reminds me of this conversation. You know, we live in a kingdom that has been inaugurated and yet has yet and yet has not been completely established, right? And, and today, so what does that mean? Well, that equips me for hope. It equi- I don't have it yet, but it started. And I know that Christ has come and he's with me and whatever difficulty I'm going through that doesn't make sense. That does, and, and that's the thing, isn't it? We all walk through seasons that don't make sense to us. And, and we do all that we can, all kinds of theological acrobatics to try to make sense of our lives, but sometimes it just doesn't. And what do we do with that? And I think the understanding that, listen, I may not understand it now, but there's a time that's coming. And I don't, so I am going to release this and I'm going to look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of my faith. And there, and I'm going to have hope. And that hope is an anchor. And, and, and scripture specifically says that hope, the hope that Jesus won is an anchor for my soul. And how many of you know there are seasons that we need the hope that anchors our soul? Amen. Uh, so one other just small tag on here is N.T. Wright calls it the, the inbreaking of the kingdom. So there are moments, how many of you have ever experienced any type of supernatural moment? What healing, divine appointment. I know some people, they think that they have seen embodied angels, you know, whatever. Those are foretastes of the kingdom. When, when we experience supernatural healing or, or really anything that we go, that is clearly the kingdom of God. Those things that are now foretastes will then one day be the norm. That will be that is the kingdom. That is the kingdom present that is, that is coming that we're talking about. So in the here and now, we are to pray for those things and we are to believe for those things. And the, the tricky part, the difficulty is it doesn't always happen. But when it does, it's a foretaste. It's a reminder. It's a deposit of the kingdom that is coming in its fullness. Let's throw Ephesians 1 and we'll look at verse 18 through twenty. Um, actually, let's, let's, let's look all the way through 21 on the screen. Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. This is exactly what Dan was talking about here. The only reason why we have hope is because Christ has come. God has come in Christ. And because of his salvific work on the cross and resurrection and ascension, we, knew, we now have hope 
that life extends beyond what our little lives look like right now. And, um, you know, through the past couple of years, Christy and I, and Christy's really drilled down on this. She says, you know, we live life so in the, the here and the now, not recognizing and realizing that the eternal nature of life, the spiritual and eternal nature of life that has begun in Christ Jesus is, is, is the real thing. And it's, it, it really is so powerful once we begin to see life through that lens. So the riches of his glorious inheritance that are in his holy people, that'd be fun to flesh out another time. And his incomparably great power that is available for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Verse 21. For far above all rule, all authority, power, dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So the gospel takes root in the present age, but speaks to the age to come. And that last verse there, verse 21, if you could put it back up there on the screen, it says that Jesus has been exalted. The right hand of the Father is far above every rule and every authority. So when we say Christ has won or that Jesus is Lord, we're saying essentially a handful of things. We're saying number one, that the enemy does not get the right to write your script. So, you know, when I'm speaking with someone who doesn't have all this language and doesn't have all the theological underpinnings and I have the right and I've built the relational credibility, I'm looking for a way to let them know that what is happening right now is not the end of your story. I'm looking for a way to let them know that whatever horrific, atrocious, crisis, tragedy, um, bad news, bad report has come, when we believe as believers in Jesus, when we believe that Jesus is Lord, we are essentially saying this does not get to define and this does not get to destine my life because that has already been claimed and established and fought for and won as a believer in Jesus. God, yeah, he's not finished. And I think in terms of learning how to be Missio Dei people, learning how to be people who know how to translate this into real life, that becomes huge. That, that, that's massive. All right, I'm gonna fast forward here because the last point of the gospel that we're trying to really pull apart is this idea that the spirit is at work. New life has begun. The kingdom has broken in. And very, very simply, what we're saying here is because God has come in Christ and because Jesus has won and is Lord, what we're saying is no matter what happens, God can use it, God, God, can, God can take it. We're not saying that God made it happen. That's very, very important for us to understand. But when we say new life has begun, we are saying that somehow God can take every wrong, broken thing and he can work in it. He can work with it. Okay, now... One of the things that really stands out is this idea that the gospel is not just for the unbeliever or the pre-believer. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you, this was probably the biggest paradigm shift for me. Because when I hear gospel, I hear people that don't know Jesus. People who know Jesus have heard the gospel. They've already signed on the dotted line, they're in. Why do I need to hear the gospel anymore? And if we're really honest, some of us, when we sit in some churches that have altar calls where they like do a verbal pronouncement of the gospel, some of us kind of check out at that point because we go, I've already heard this. I know this, this isn't for me. This is for those people. Okay, now let me submit something to you. 
Here's my submission. The submission here is that we as believers actually need to hear the gospel on a regular basis. That we actually need to sit under the power of the gospel. That there's something that happens inside of us that shapes our lives when on a very regular basis, and that could be weekly large gathering, that could be biweekly small gathering, that could be every day. But when we hear, God is near, you're not alone. You're not in this by yourself. You're not left to your own devices. You don't have to figure this out because God has come and he's near and he's present. Number two, Christ has won. Christ has won. The victory is, is unfolding. And number three, God's spirit is at work. He is at work in you and around you and he's at work in the world. And when we sit under that, something happens in us. And my question for you guys is, why do we need to sit under the gospel proclamation regularly and what happens as a people when we sit under the proclamation of the gospel? One thing that happens is we begin to believe it. You know, yeah, I think that's good. Tag, yeah, all right. Um, no, I, I would say this. I think our minds and our understanding, our beliefs, let's say that our beliefs are porous. And what I mean when I say that is that, you know, wherever we're at, the prevailing thought bleeds into our belief systems. It's hard for that not to happen. And whether we're watching TV or we're at work participating in different conversations, you know, getting ahead, getting that promotion, we want the success of our children. I mean, there's just so much pulling on our emotions and, and, and really inundating us with a philosophy and a mindset that is maybe not kingdom, that, is, that doesn't reflect the kingdom of God. So the reason we need, I think, the reason we must regularly hear the gospel is so that our beliefs come into alignment with that. You know, it's not enough for us to come once a week to the, to, and if we're lucky, hear the gospel. If we're lucky, we'll hear the gospel in a church setting. But that's not enough to to outweigh the day in and day out influence of the culture that we live in. The self-promoting, self-centered, you know, self-protection. That, that whole mindset that is so, it just inundates our gospel. And what we need to do is we need the gospel to inundate our gospel. You know, and so we must regularly sit, we must regularly sit under it and allow it to just displace the philosophies of the world that has, that has wormed its way in through circumstance and through life. Uh, let's throw Romans 1.16 on the screen. And again, a very well-known verse of scripture, Romans 1.16, and a verse of scripture that I, throughout the past 25 years of my Christian life, have interpreted a certain way. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Now, here's, here's the way I classically understood this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because all those heathen out there who need to hear the, God, hear the gospel, it's the gospel that's gonna get them delivered from their demonic heathen lives. So I'm not, I can't be ashamed of this. I gotta share it. I gotta evangelize every person who doesn't know the gospel so they can stop living for the devil. And there's an element of that that's true. And I'm using a lot of extremities here. That being said, 
Look at this verse. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for those who believe. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the reality that I believe with all of my heart that God has come in Christ. I'm not ashamed of the fact that I really do believe that Christ has won no matter what the external circumstances look like. And I'm not ashamed of, I am not ashamed to believe that though visibly I cannot see any change, invisibly I believe that the spirit of God is at work and he is doing something eternal and he is doing something spiritual that will manifest itself either in this creation or in the new creation. I'm not ashamed of that. I believe in that wholeheartedly. Now here's the thing. What is the power, what, what activates, what releases, what allows us to hook into the power of God? Faith in the gospel. When I live and my faith is activated, let me rephrase this. When, when, when my faith is connected to these three core components, God is near, Jesus is one, the spirit is at work. It actually activates the power of God to work in my life. So when we pray for the sick, do you know what we're doing? We're releasing our faith to activate the power of God. When we pray for situations to change in our lives or on behalf of someone that we know, when we pray for our friend or our neighbor who doesn't know Christ, when we pray for marriages to be reconciled, when we pray for finances to, 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 to come or new opportunities or new jobs or whatever it might be, we are saying, God, I believe that you have come, that Christ has won and new life has begun and I am activating your power to work on my behalf in those areas. Y'all should be shouting right now, that's awesome. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And that's why we need to sit under that. David Fitch says this, and I'll, I'll be done here, but he says, the regular proclamation of the gospel makes possible the birth of a community that is now living in the new world of Christ's reign. Okay, the regular proclamation of the gospel makes possible the birth of a community. We exist as a family of believers. We are the church of God because the gospel has formed us. The only reason, I mean, one of the biggest reasons why we, we are called a church, we are constituted as a church is because we all believe in the power of the gospel and our lives reflect that. And as a result, we are now a living community and a new community that lives under the new world of Christ's reign. We believe that. And one of the ways that we announce that, one of the ways that we remember that, and one of the ways that we encounter that is through the table of the Lord. So if I could have our communion ministers come forward, please. We're gonna proclaim the gospel as we come to and participate in the table. So come on forward if you guys would. Am I supposed to be with you, babe? <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You know, one of the things that we that we mentioned was no nobody wants to hear something who desperately needs it, who feels like it's just coming across as obligatory or mental. 
So we wanna be, we wanna be, we wanna be sensitive that we're not just rolling around giving good answers and even right answers. Because gospel proclamation is an art and it's very, very human and it's very, very personal and it's very, very intuitive in nature. I hope you hear what I'm saying right now. So the key isn't that we just roll around and we've got kind of new ammunition to just fire at people. The key is that out of Christ's love for people and out of our heart to embody this and to incarnate this, is that we delicately and sensitively and graciously, all the while boldly proclaim this. Friend, I believe that Jesus is Lord over your life. I believe that. And I'm gonna stand, I'm gonna stand in agreement that God is at work in your life because I believe that Christ has come, that Christ has been crucified to redeem the entire world of which you are part and his spirit is for you. And I I humbly submit that to you. Today, I wanna announce this over your life. I wanna announce to you a new world has begun called the kingdom of God. I wanna announce to you, friend, that whatever news you heard this week, I wanna announce to you whatever argument you may have had before walking into these doors. I wanna announce to you whatever the status of your marriage is or wherever your children are at in their relationship with God or not. I want to humbly and sensitively and yet I also want to boldly and with conviction and full of faith announce to you God is near to you friend God is near he has not left you he has not abandoned you he is not angry with you he is not waiting to just pass judgment on you someday he is near to you number two I want to announce to you that there is no thing there is no plan no situation there is no, the Bible says, no weapon. There is, no, there, is, there is nothing that has been formed against you that has the legal authority to prosper against you. It is illegal. And the reason why it's illegal is because Christ, our King and our Savior, has won. So now anything and everything that is not of God's heart for you, it is actually acting illegally. And here's the beautiful thing. In Christ's family, by the Spirit of God, we actually have authority as believers to say what is happening right here is not right and address it and to invite the power of God to work in it. And number three, I wanna announce over to you, the spirit of God is at work. The Holy Spirit, God's spirit himself. You may not see it. You may not be conscious of it. You may not feel it. The Holy Spirit is working on your behalf. And today, as we come to this table, we're gonna come and we are going to proclaim and we're gonna release our faith and we're gonna activate those three realities. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning?